This morning we are uh, going to finish our study of the book of James. Uh, and we're going to do that by looking at James chapter 3. Now, if you haven't been with us for uh, this whole uh, set of lessons, you might be scratching your head thinking, I know there's more chapters than 3 in James. Well, as it happened on Thanksgiving weekend, I was supposed to, I was scheduled to, to uh, deliver this lesson. But unfortunately, I got sick that weekend. And so Jeremy was nice enough to move up a spot. And then Luke spoke last week. And so um, I am now filling in and finishing out our, our study of this book uh, with a look at the, the book of James chapter 3. And in, in doing that and considering that, um, Yancey came up to me before service and said, well, I guess we saved the best for last. And the truth is, is what I told him is, we saved the worst for last or at least the hardest, the most difficult. Something I think is the most challenging. And, and James points out here in this passage that it's the most challenging. So we're going to look at that. And you know, you think about the tongue, and we all can recognize that if you speak, there's probably a time in your life that you have said something that you so wish you could have put back in. And yet it was out. And we can... I've probably done it a hundred or a thousand times, and thankfully my memory of those mistakes is not that good because probably if I could remember them all, the guilt would be overwhelming because I've said lots of things that uh, weren't the appropriate thing to say at the time I chose to say them. Well, think about for a minute the body control and all that would be involved in performing this type of activity. Think about how strong these guys must be and the, the time they spent in the weight room to get strong and then the timing to, to be in some kind of a high wire act where one person swings out and another one has to time it perfect and catch them. Think about the hundreds of hours they must have spent and the number of times that they missed and then had to practice and try it again and try it again and try it again. And all that involved with that We think about a baseball player that dives and makes an incredible catch. Just stretches out, just runs for the ball as hard as they can and then realizes they're not going to be able to catch it in stride. And so they stretch out and they make an incredible catch. Or a football player that that does the same thing. Again, think about the, the hundreds of hours that are involved in letting that kind of thing happen on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, whatever kind of game you happen to be be viewing, and we see that these incredible athletic plays, or this guy, I mean, how do you do that? He's, he's riding a unicycle on a high wire, and he's, he's got these things spinning. How do you do all of that? Well, again, incredible body control, right? An incredible amount of, of training and practice to get to that. But here's what James said. James said this, If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. I would guess that probably it would be more difficult to control the tongue perfectly than it is to do any of those things. Even those things are incredibly difficult to do. But James says that if you can control your words... You have 
tremendous body control. And I recognize that I'm probably taking that a little bit out of context. And he's talking about probably in the nature of sin. But, but I want us to understand this morning that it is an incredible challenge. It is, it is probably the era, the area of our life that we sin the quickest in. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 34. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, very simply, the things that are in your heart eventually are going to come out. And we know that there, from time to time there's evil in our hearts. And when there's evil in our hearts, eventually those things are going to manifest themselves. And they do so usually, initially, in the form of words. And I would suggest that the tongue would be the quickest expression of the heart. You know, if if I get mad at Kent and he says something that offends me and I decide I'm going to club him over the head, I got to go get me a songbook or something and then I got to go over to Kent. And I, you see how long it's going to take? So I'm going to go over here and grab this and I'm going to come over here to Kent and hit him over the head with it. That's going to take a little bit of time and it's going to give me some time to reflect and maybe think, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to do. But you see, with words, I can think it and I can say it just like that, can I? It can come out just that quick. And that's what makes it dangerous. So the, the tongue is the quickest expression of the heart. You think about the way this works, that we have an idea. It manifests itself in our heart or in our mind. Now, at, over time, we develop something that I would call a filter. In other words, we do think a little bit about it. And you know, most of you know that I spent about two and a half years as a sixth grade principal. And the thing about a sixth grader, at least a lot of the sixth graders I dealt with, is they don't have filters. They haven't built those yet. And so as soon as it went in the heart, it came right out in the speech. And I would suggest to you, though, that as Jesus points out here, that from the heart... The mouth speaks and that over time, if our heart is corrupt, eventually our filters will break down and what is in our heart will come out and we will betray our true selves. And I think probably a lot of times as we think back in our own lives, the times we have said things that were wrong, we have to recognize that it's a flaw of the heart. That's where, that's where it started and that's where the problem uh, exist. Well, James points out the irony of the tongue. That it's such a small thing. It seems like intuitively you wouldn't think something as small as the tongue would be something that would be such a stumbling block. But James points out this. He says that we put bits in horses' mouth that we, that they may obey us and may turn their whole body. So you think of this enormous animal, this this horse, and yet you have a bit that's that long and you put it in that horse's mouth and you can yank on those reins and you can get him to turn the way you want him to turn. So you can control this enormous animal with a very small thing. And he talks about a ship. And he says also, look also at ships, though they are so large. And you know that in today's world, the ships that James knew about are tiny, tiny, tiny compared to the ships that we have today. But yet, it's still that rudder that turns and causes that water to...
to flow in a direction and causes that ship to turn. So he says that uh, so that those ships are so large and driven by fierce winds that they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Great things and huge events are set in course because of words, the things you say. So I want to spend a little bit of time just looking at what are some sins that people commit with their tongues. Well, the first and the most obvious to me would be profanity. We all recognize that that's something that we should avoid as Christians. And in in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, And let it, and he's talking about fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, not even be named among you neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor nor coarse jesting. That is, making jokes that are crude or sexually suggestive type jokes are things that uh, the Apostle Paul teaches against here. Gossip is another one. This one's, this one's one that you can get into before you really think about it. And now you've spread something that's, that's maybe untrue about someone or is harmful. Even if it's true, if you're spreading something that's harmful to someone, maybe that's something that didn't need to be said. So, uh, Solomon said this, a talebearer bearer reveals secrets, but he who is fa- of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. Here's another one, quarreling. It is, an, it is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. So in, when you use your tongue to, to stir up trouble, to stir up strife amongst people that you work with or family or even worse, brethren, then those are things, a use of the tongue that, that James condemns here. The next one, lying. Lying lips are an abomination of the Lord. But those who deal truthfully are His delight. Here's another one we don't think about a lot, but probably do a lot. That is complaining. Let us tempt, let us not tempt Christ nor complain as some of them. Now the reference here to them is the, is the children of Israel. This is in 1 Colossians chapter 10. He says, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. The children of Israel, we all remember that when they got across the sea and, and God had delivered them across the Red Sea and they were, they were in the wilderness and they were traveling to the promised land, what did they do? They got over there and they began to complain. And there were many that complained and, and because of that there were thousands that were killed because of just their complaining. Excessive talk, even if we don't say anything that's wrong to just constantly being very quick to just speak is not something that's pleasing. And James, earlier in the book, he writes this, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Well, he goes on to talk about the tongue as a world of iniquity. He says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is also set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. You know, you think about any kind of a, a, a major uprising 
it requires a lot of communication, doesn't it? So if you're going to, if you're going to get people involved in some kind of an act, it's going to require some communication. Now, in today's world, we might use social media, we might use uh, uh, email, there would be all kinds of different ways to communicate, but back when James wrote that, that was not the case. And so almost all communication, almost all communication was verbal. So he talks about the tongue. doesn't talk about things like Twitter, but though we find that this is, this is a heat map of the United States during, this is in the, the hours right after the Ferguson verdict. And there were 3.8 million tweets. That's Twitter, uh, Twitter add-ons or, or, or messages that came through Twitter that had the hashtag Ferguson. Now, probably some of those were a call for peace. But we remember what happened. It takes a lot of communication. I believe that's the kind of thing that, that James is speaking about here. And that it's the tongue that incites, that causes people to, to take action. And sometimes those actions are not, uh, are not pleasing. And, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not speaking to the larger issue. Uh, I'm not an African American, so I can't speak to whether there's, there's racial injustice in parts of the United States are not relative to the police. But clearly, it would be wrong to go out and, t- and burn somebody's business down that had nothing to do with that verdict, that had nothing to do with the injustice that you may perceive. And so, um, again, you can see how the tongue, or in this case, social media, and communication drives bigger events and, 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 and bigger atrocities. And those kind of things uh, start with something that's such a little member. And so James talks about that. And then he goes on and he talks, he says this. He says, with the tongue we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. You know, you think about the tongue... And you think about our words, and we've all, we've all said things that have been praises to God. We sing songs that are praises to God, don't we? We use our voices to praise our Heavenly Father because we appreciate Him and we believe in Him. And yet we will take that same instrument and use it for something that's very negative and something that, that will speak out and curse men. He says, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. And he goes on and explains, he gives them an example of nature. And nature teaches you that that shouldn't be. He says, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Well, of course not. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a, a, a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh, and yet the tongue does that very thing. It can be both good and bad. And so we can become a bit hypocritical or two-faced in our use of that. Now, interestingly, he started this whole book, or this, this whole chapter rather, he started the whole chapter with this verse. Verses 1 and 2, he says, My brethren, 
Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. And I pulled this out of the start because you know how, and I think Luke talked about this a little bit last week, but the way that they wrote back in those days, they would take, there would be a thread that would run through the writings for several chapters, but on that thread, they would weave in and out of that thread. And so this is one of those things that is at the very first of the, of the chapter, but it seems to fit best with what follows next. So keep that in mind. And he says in verse 13, so we skip from verses 2 to 13, he says, But who is wise and understanding among you? Well, that would be, so he says, There be not many teachers, because we stumble in, we all stumble in many things, and that'd be true of teachers too. He says, But let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And I just want to highlight that thing and, and, and get us to really focus on that for a minute because the spirit of meekness is incredibly important. That, that wisdom, that heavenly wisdom will create not a spirit of arrogance, but a spirit of, of meekness. Heavenly wisdom will help us to understand how little we are, how grand God is. And by putting that in the proper perspective... We will be humble. And if we have the right heart, then that's going to put us in a position to use our tongues better to to both say the right things and to do the right things. And he goes on and he shows the contrast of that. So he he says that wisdom, true wisdom, is going to create a spirit of weakness in verse 13. And verse 14 he says, But if you have bitter envying and self seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. That's hypocrisy. So to, to try to, to bring yourself to be, to say you're, you're one thing and yet you're another, that's hypocrisy. And that hypocrisy will undercut your testimony for Jesus Christ. So someone who wants to share the gospel with somebody else, but is not living a good Christian life, well guess what? That person hears what you say and they match it up to what you're doing and they go, hmm, this doesn't, no, not listen to this guy. He says, but the, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. So he goes back to chapter 2, talks about without partiality without hypocrisy. Now the the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So again, back to our drawing here from before, two different ways to work on the tongue. What do we do about this? Since the tongue is such a, a difficult thing to control, you know, Jesus even suggested it would be better to just cut it out because it would be better to go through life deaf and or dumb, not, not able to speak, than it would be to enter the fires of hell. And But there's two ways that we can work on the tongue. And number one, we can work on the filter. And we need to work on the filter. I advocate working on the filter. We need to think about the effects of the things that we're saying. 
We're going to have thoughts, but just because we think it doesn't mean it's the best thing to say. So you have to, you have to learn to filter and you have to think about, is this really going to be helpful if I say that? We need to improve in that area. But mostly, mostly we've got to work on this portion. Because Jesus said that out of the heart is going to come forth, you know, you're going to speak what comes from the heart. So you can work on the filter all you want, but if you don't ever clean up what's in the heart, then you're not ever going to, you're not ever going to get it right. Eventually it's going to come out. So we have to purify our hearts. Well, how do we do that? We've got to spend more time in, the, in God's Word. We've got to spend more time with God's people. We've got to meditate. We've got to pray. We've got to, we've got to get our hearts right with God. We've got to move toward Him and move away from the things of the world that would cause us to think in a worldly way. And it's difficult to do, but that's the challenge. And James talks about how difficult that challenge is. So, two ways, and the heart is the area that we need the most focus, no doubt. Well, just to kind of wrap up, I think the book of James is a call for Christians in regard to to live a life of integrity. I don't know if you remember from Michael's lesson from way back uh, in chapter 2, but he ended the lesson by saying, James called us to walk our talk. Apparently there was a problem that there were a lot of people that were just invoking the name of Christ, but there really wasn't any change in their life. And so, you know, James went on to make the statement that faith without works is dead. So Michael, when he talked about that chapter, he he encouraged us to walk our talk. Well, part of that walk is our talk and the things that we say. And that's what James talks about in chapter 3. So if you look at in, if integrity is this, if integrity is the integration, it's the overlap of our beliefs, our words, and our actions. Now, what, what James would have is that there would just be one circle. That what we believe, we do, and what we believe, we say. And so there's just one circle. That's the definition of integrity. That there's a consistency between our values and our actions and our words. But unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is when stress comes upon us and we get in difficult situations, the things that we believe and the things that we do and the the words that we use can begin to separate. And that area in white there that's, that's integrity begins to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So James advocates that those three circles become one circle. And that's really the, as I would summarize the book, that's really what I get out of, out of the book of James. And, but he gives us some challenging things to make that happen. Uh, Paul said it this way. He said, for what I am doing, I do not understand. Now this is the Apostle Paul. Paul said, for what I will do... For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. So Paul even recognized with him that what he believed, sometimes he would stray from that. And it was hard for him. His his fight as a Christian was even difficult. So I want to encourage us. Think about your words. Think about the things that you say. Use that instrument for good. 
and think about, especially when you get into situations where you might be prone to gossip, you might be prone to quarreling, you might be prone to complaining or any of those things that we talked about, to, uh, to think about what you're doing before you say those things and work on that heart by spending more time in God's Word. If we can assist you this morning, we're going to so- sing a song of invitation. We would invite you to come forward for any that might hear the call of the gospel.